Today's scripture readings are from first Proverbs 4, 20 to 23, and then from Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. Proverbs 4. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And in Ezekiel 11, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Good morning again. Now earlier, I mentioned to you. Um, one sec, my button's not working. I mentioned to you that there are a few fun things in the setup behind me, so kids and adults who enjoy scavenger hunts, here are a few things that you can find. There's a mirror, paint cans, ladder, clock. Silver cup, music sheets, sparkly red shoes, and a mouse. Well, I tried to find a mouse, but I couldn't, so I borrowed a neighbor's rat, but close enough. Good luck and Godspeed, I suppose. <laughs> uh, in other news, let's try this again. In other news, have any of you heard that there was some sort of small debate on this week? Perfect timing for us to talk about emotional maturity, or lack thereof. For those of you who missed it, uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, uh, these are guys who are both hoping to be elected president of the United States next month. They had a debate last, uh, last week, or this week. And if you want a great summary of it, you can Google the video, We're All Doomed, by Weird Al Yankovic. Now, there's no one better to provide in-depth commentary on American politics than a Canadian accordion player. Now, thanks to this debate, there are now lots of articles on how to talk to someone who constantly interrupts you. Thanks to this debate, uh, it's, uh, we're all thinking now and aware of, uh, of these types of conversations. Have you been in a situation like that where someone, a person you're talking to, just won't let you finish a sentence? Now, at first, you know, it seems okay. The person you're talking to just, you know, has a lot to say, and, and you smile and you nod and wait. Then after a few minutes of still not being able to get a word in, uh, you still smile and you still nod, but now you can feel the stress, you know, is starting to come here in the temple of your forehead. And then the stress, of course, grows further down and further down. And instinctively, you know, it goes to your head. You start kind of looking for the closest exit. And then the stress moves all the way down until your entire body is kind of imploding from the frustration. And all the while, at least for me in my head, I'm going, stuff it down and smile. 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 <laughs> With any luck, 
when all that stuffed down emotion finally explodes out of me, hopefully it happens when I'm in a room by myself. (laughs) Of course, why a person constantly interrupts isn't the same for everyone. And this, of course, is where what all these articles are about. You know, some people who constantly interrupt, it's a bullying technique to try to overpower someone or show them who's in control. For some, it's just excitement in the moment, whether from a positive exuberance or negative frustration, and they simply can't contain themselves long enough to listen. For some, it stems from insecurities, and for others, it's simply a lack of social awareness. But regardless of why, when I'm ready to explode with frustration, the question I should be asking myself is not, what's wrong with them? Why won't they shut up? Why are they doing this? But the question I should be asking myself is, what's going on in me that I can't handle this? Why are my emotions getting all worked up? And what in me needs to mature so that I don't have this response? Today we are beginning a series called What Lies Beneath. And for the next eight months, we will be, eight months, that's a long series. For the next eight weeks, we will be exploring the ways in which our emotions and our emotional health are an integral and necessary part of our spirituality. That they either help us or hinder us in our hearing and knowing and loving God better. Now, along with this series, we have a number of small groups who are going through a video and a book series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And they're based on a book by the same name. If you think you might be interested in joining a group for the next two months, please let us know. Now, a major theme of the, both the book and our Sunday morning series is, is, as the subtitle of the book says, that it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Now, that is a fairly negative way of saying it. Um, I would prefer to express it more along the lines of just simply how our emotional well-being intimately impacts our spiritual growth. Yes, it can be for negative, but it can also be for the positive. And to begin, this morning we want to lay down some foundation for understanding the place that our emotional well-being has in our spiritual formation. And the foundation, of course, of understanding any piece of our humanity is in our creation. The way that God created us, the way God designed us, specifically the way God designed us to be whole people. When God created humans, he made them in his image, both through his breath of life breathed into them and also in the stuff of creation, dirt, earth. Creation and God's very breath came together in humanity to create us as whole people People living in perfect relationship with God, in perfect relationship with each other, with all of creation, and also perfect relationship within themselves, unified wholes. Then, as many of us are familiar with the story, sin entered the world and suddenly everything broke apart. The relationship between humans and God, the relationship between humans and each other, the relationship between humans and creation... And the relationship within humans' very selves were torn apart, were fractured. 
Now, again, as many of us know, kind of a quick story of salvation history, I suppose. In order to restore us, God the Father sent his son Jesus to become fully human. So fully human, fully God, Jesus came so that he could defracture, so that he could make us whole again. Taking all of our humanity, image of God in divine breath and dirt, raising the wholeness of humanity into eternal, holy wholeness, heart, soul, mind, and body. And because we are created to be whole, and because we are created to know and love God in the wholeness of our being, the scriptures tell us the central command that sums up the entirety of God's call on our lives is to love our neighbors and to love God in the wholeness of our humanity. In the Old Testament, in a book called Deuteronomy 6.5, we are commanded, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then in the New Testament, Jesus affirms this command, summarizes how we are to live. And his version, though, is slightly different. Mark uh, uh, 12, 30, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do you notice the difference there? The Old Testament, love God with heart, soul, and strength. Whereas Jesus says, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now this, he adds the word mind. Now, this isn't because God didn't care about the brain before Jesus came along. It is simply because human understanding of the science and the reality of the whole human person changed. In the Old Testament, the word for heart isn't what we often think of when we use the word heart, when we say, you know, speaking from the heart. In the Old Testament, the heart was not only the source of our feelings and our emotions, but the heart was the governing center for all of human attributes. The heart was the center of consciousness, of thought, of will, of moods and passions, and also wisdom, of thought, of reflection. But by the time Jesus came around, contemporary language of the attributes of humanity slightly changed. There was new understandings about the role of different parts of our bodies and what they did. And there was an understanding that the heart and the mind were actually separate parts of our humanity. So whereas in the Old Testament, the heart was the center of everything, now the mind was about thinking, reason, wisdom, and the heart was allocated to being about feeling and emotion. Of course, as humans, we have continued to learn how the body works, When today we know that all of these human attributes are actually located in the brain. So perhaps if Jesus were to have come now, instead of 2,000 years ago, he might have said, love the Lord your God with all your brain, soul, and spirit. Understanding that the mind, the brain, is the governing center for these human attributes, thoughts, will, Mood, passion, wisdom, etc., etc. This being said, it is helpful for us to use words like heart, soul, mind, and strength, for they help us to speak more specifically about the different attributes of our humanity. 
The place where it's dangerous is when we think and live like they are separate things, as if one does not intrinsically affect the other. When we try to live as if one is more important than the other. As Christians, as people who believe that there is a God who created us, who loves us and longs for us to live in and live out divine love in the fullness of humanity, it is extremely dangerous that historically in the Western world, we have lived as if certain aspects of humanity are more important than others in our spirituality. For the last few centuries, we've believed that the mind's ability to reason was the most important part of our humanity to engage in our relationship with God. Sermons and studies to engage the mind, that as followers of God, we are not to be driven by emotion, but by intellectual reason. And that is still deeply embedded in the DNA of Western Christianity. In fact, one worship song that we sing had the line, I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. As if what is really true is our theological doctrine and our feelings are just a part of our sinful, broken humanity. But our heart, our feelings are not part of sinful humanity. They are intrinsically part of our made in God's image humanity. A very quick study in Western philosophy. There are two mathematicians from the early 1600s that had significant impact on how we view the world. The first was Rene Descartes, who famously wrote, I think, therefore I am. Mathematician all the way. Yes, Christians, instead of interpreting, yet Christians, instead of interpreting this quote through the lens of Scripture, They took on this way of seeing thinking as the center of what it means to be human. And so instead, Christians began interpreting Scripture through the lens of, I think, therefore I am. The lens that the mind is the core of humanity. Another philosophizing mathematician at the same time, Blaise Pascal, wrote, The heart has its reasons for which reason does not know. Now, it's too bad that this affirming of the heart's reason didn't have the same impact on Christian thought as Descartes, and I think, therefore, I am did. The heart and our emotions are not simply a problem to be overcome or stuffed down, but they are an intrinsic part of being loved by God, of loving God, loving our neighbors, And therefore, our emotions are an intrinsic part of our holistic spirituality. Now, over the last century, there have been a lot of progress in the fields of psychology and of neuroscience. Neuroscience being the study of the nervous system and of the brain. And these advancements in science have helped to understand the interplay within our brains between what we've called hearts, minds, and bodies. They've helped us to understand better how intricately our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls are woven together and how impossible it is to separate one from the other. And I personally think that they've helped us to understand even better what God was trying to say to us when he created and called us to live as whole beings. For me, these uh, developments in neuroscience only strengthen and affirm uh, the beauty of 
of God's creation of us and the way that he has made us to behold people. Neuroscience helps us to understand the proverb that Garth read for us, Proverbs 4, 20 to 23. My child, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Pay attention to my words. We usually, when a lot of us, when we read this, we think words, you know, the teachings, the brain stuff. And God says, or the, the, the writer says, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Other translation says, um, for from it flow the springs of life. This is kind of like a center place where, where the life springs from us. The words of God are to be kept in our heart. And to remember, and remembering that in the Old Testament, keeping it in our hearts means to keep it in our thoughts and our will and our reason, but also our passions and our moods and our emotions and our feelings. And when we keep them in the wholeness of our being, they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. This holistic spirituality where our spiritual formation, our relationship to God is part of being bringing health to our bodies, our minds, our hearts, the entirety of our being. And when God tells Ezekiel that he will give them an undivided heart, it is a picture of a heart that is unified. The word undivided is actually the word one, giving them one heart, not a heart that is fragmented into many pieces. Even more so, however, it is a heart that is not divided. It is not pulled between desiring things of the world that tear them down and separate them from God and from each other and from creation. But it is an undivided, a one heart, because it finds wholeness, its oneness, an unbroken relationship with God. Which, as we know, also means unbroken relationship with others, with creation, and unbroken relationship with the self. This is what God desires for us, and this is the spirituality that God has called us to. Now, although uh, I think this book that we are uh, going to be going through together, I think it is pretty good. Um, like any book, there are a few things that, you know, I, I personally don't necessarily agree with. There's one line where he writes, Few Christians committed to contemplative spirituality integrate the inner workings of emotional health. Now, this may be true if you're only talking about kind of Western Christian philosophy that inherited uh, I think, therefore I am type of spirituality. But if you are talking about actual contemplative Christian spirituality as a whole, this is an inaccurate statement to say that Christians committed to it don't integrate emotional health. All through the history of Christianity, and specifically in what is considered contemplative spirituality, is the practice of paying attention to feelings, to our emotions. Of knowing yourself through deepening self-awareness. This is one of the key pillars of spiritual movements of contemplative spirituality. Movements like the Jesuits. Incorporating and paying attention to your feelings, your desires, your heart's cry has been an intrinsic part of contemplative spirituality. 
Christian spirituality that is based on a biblical understanding that we are created and redeemed as whole beings is about being integrated. All the different parts of who we are being undivided, being one. Integration is when all of the different parts of who we are, the different functions of our brain, the various attributes of our humanity, social, physical, intellectual, spiritual, emotional. Integration is when they all come together and they function healthily with each other. Integration is when our heart, soul, mind, and strength are healthily unified as one whole person. It is like the coveted Lego Millennium Falcon, the most coveted of all Lego works. Right, Colin? Yeah, for sure. 7,500 pieces, all where they belong. Disintegration, on the other hand, is the Millennium Falcon fallen off a shelf and smashed on the floor where things don't make sense and everything is disconnected and fragmented, it is heartbreaking. <laughs> so if this, doesn't, if this doesn't stress you out, if you're not a person that, or sorry, now I'm pointing at the picture, a messy, uh, a messy room, a messy space doesn't stress you out, then you're probably a person that your Lego Millennium Falcon smashed to pieces is going to stress you out. <laughs> This is what it means to be disintegrated, disintegrated. Disintegration is when parts of our brain war against each other, when our intelligence tells us that we're dumb for feeling things so strongly, when our sad emotions tell our body it doesn't need to exercise, when the reptile, that's the lower part of our brain, tells us run away and hide when the neocortex, the rational part of our brain, is trying to tell us, no, don't run away, don't hide, stay, work out your problems. When we have disintegration between our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our bodies, our relationship with God is negatively impacted. And like this Lego piece, it is fractured, it is disintegrated. When our bodies are ignored, our spirituality is diminished. But as we learn to integrate our bodies into prayer and worship, our spiritual formation finds a whole new world of depth. And when our emotions are ignored and stuffed down and treated as unimportant or simply treated as distractions from what is real, our spirituality is diminished. It is fractured. Our capacity to love God, to love others, creation, our capacity to love ourselves as integrated wholes is the opposite of being formed. It is being deformed, twisted away from the beautiful, holistic spirituality that God desires for us. But as we learn to integrate our emotions into our prayer and worship, we find that we are liberated towards deeper spiritual formation. It is my belief that our heart serves as a gateway to hearing the voice of God, or that it can when our emotions are disintegrated, the way is blocked and it is hard to hear. It's like listening to a muffled voice through a closed door. It is hard to hear and receive what is true. However, the more our emotions are integrated and actively incorporated into our spirituality, the more the door of the gateway is opened and the more the voice of God can be heard speaking truth and love over us. 
in his book, Anatomy of the Soul, uh, exploring the relationship between neuroscience and the soul, psychiatrist Curtis Curtis Thompson writes this. It is important to realize that our primary and categorical emotional states are not opinions to be countered. They are true experiences that require attention. Here again, I will point out that it is through the brain's medium of emotion that God most frequently addresses us. If we ignore, deny, or debate these feelings, we are ignoring God's messengers. This does not mean that emotional states are God and therefore have the right to have dominion over us. No, rather they are non-debatable communiques that require a mindful, attentive, and balanced response. We who long to know God and to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength must be attentive to our emotional well-being, not to keep our emotions in check or under control, but that we would be attentive to the voice of God who speaks to us through the wholeness of our being. Our emotions are part of God's intended design. They are part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Jesus, the only holistically integrated person ever to live, wept at the graveside of his dead friend. Weeping is not weakness Emotions are not to be overcome, subdued, but to be brought into our spirituality. Like all of our humanity, Jesus longs to bring healing and maturing to our disintegrated emotions so that we are made more and more whole, more and more integrated. Our emotions can be a vessel for the voice of God and an instrument of worship, praise, and prayer. This is the work of healing and maturing that God wants to invite us into. Where God longs for us to allow the Spirit to work in us, but also where we are willing to participate in that work. Where our emotional health enables us to hear and know God better. And where God, through our holistic spirituality, matures us emotionally. It is both emotional maturing moving to spiritual growth, and holistic spirituality moving to emotional maturing. As people made in the image of God, let's be attentive to the places of disintegration in our hearts, not to feel shameful about it, but to invite God to begin a work of healing with attentiveness to how God may be speaking to us through it. May we work alongside of God with holistic spirituality, finding deeper spiritual formation through ever-integrated minds. I want to end with a prayer by Padre Tuama, a prayer that comes from his reflecting on the story of the two disciples who were walking down the Emmaus Road, uh, talking to someone and not knowing that it was Jesus to whom they were talking. Luke said to, or they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us?
hidden Jesus, wandering along the way like a stranger. Hidden along the way in many stories and many faces. May we listen to our hearts when they burn with life, knowing that you are speaking to us. Because you are with us along the way in the faces of many strangers. Amen.